Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. will be the verses 1 through 13. And please follow along, if you will, on page 6 of the order of worship. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, When you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. He also said to them, Imagine that one of you has a friend, and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, Friend, loan me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine further that he answers from within the house, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up, get up to give you anything. I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. So as I mentioned early on, this is the third week of our series, Misused or Abused, where we're talking about Bible verses that we sometimes extrapolate out for our own kinds of purposes and uses, but don't necessarily use them in the way that's helpful or meaningful for our lives, or as God intended for them to be understood. We've talked about things like Jeremiah's words, I know the plans I have for you. Last week we considered Paul's words, all things work for good. This week we're going to consider what Jesus meant when he said, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. What does that mean when it comes to our prayer life? In in the early parts of the church, the church was actually called the way. That was the form or the the language they used to describe this group of people who were following the way of Jesus. And the way was an invitation from Jesus to live differently than the culture around them in that day. And it's still the same invitation today. It is an appeal. It's an appeal to think of others as much as we think of ourselves or even more than we think of ourselves. And our prayers are an indicator of that journey of how well we are adapting to God's invitation to follow the way, what are we asking for? What are we seeking? The knocking on the door tells our story. 
There's a pastor in Tennessee. His name is Pete Wilson. He's not only a pastor, he's also a writer and a speaker. Fourteen years ago, he started a new church called Cross Point Church in Mount Joliet, Tennessee. Over the last 14 years, he's done modestly well. They have about 7,000 members, regular attenders. Small little church in Mount Joliet, Tennessee, right? You know, kind of thing. But on media, he uses a, a phrase. This is his phrase that he uses for his label on Twitter and his blog and the different ways in which he is on social media. He goes by the tag, life without wax. Whenever you see that phrase, you know that that's Pete Wilson tweeting or blogging or writing on social media. He gets that from an understanding of the ancient world and how the ancient world operated. In the ancient world, containers were made out of baked clay. And for those containers that were cracked, the owners of it, whether they be the maker or the seller or those who had it in their collection for their daily use, they would take wax and melt it. And then they would put that melted wax in the crack, smooth it out until it hardens, and that would fill the crack so they could continue to use the container. They could sell it or they could use it in their household. So all of these containers had flaws filled with wax so that they were usable. It made that container something that someone could use for its intended purposes. Wilson uses this phrase to kind of identify, I think, in many ways, our own human nature. All of us are people who have cracks in our lives. We just don't want anyone else to see them, right? You think about the wax that we use on our own lives to cover up and mask the cracks. I know I have some cracks in my own life, and I try to figure out how to mask them as best as I could because if you knew me as well as you could know me, you probably wouldn't like me very much, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, you probably wouldn't come to St. John's very often. You'd find a new preacher or a new church to go to because we try to hide those things. We don't want people to know every single crack that we have. It's a fear that we carry. And so life is dangerous to walk around without any wax over the cracks that we have. So what do we do? We pray. We pray that God do something about the cracks that are in our lives. We ask, we seek, we knock. We ask God to fix these things about us. We ask God to cover them up in such a way that no one else will see them because we know that we're not necessarily really good at always hiding our own faults. And so we ask God in our prayer life to fix us. Even though the cracks are still there, we ask God to help us mask them. It's our human compulsion to be needed, to be liked in every circumstance, to have a group of people around us who maybe know us in some ways but not that intimately. And so we ask, we seek, we knock on the door. We want God to do something about the things that we can't necessarily take care of ourselves. 
We also ask God to fill other cracks in our lives, if you think about it, for God to intervene in the circumstances and the situations of our lives. We pray for miracles of healing when we are sick and it seems like there's no answer to what's going on. We look for answers as well to the crisis moments in our lives. We look for God to fill that crack somehow. We might be seeking the blessing of winning the lottery to deal with a financial circumstance we find ourselves in. We are asking God. We're seeking from God. We knock on God's door. And sometimes we want God to be our companion because in other forms of our human relations we feel isolated and alone and as if God can fill that void and crack as well. So much of our prayer life, I think, is predicated on what we need physically and what we need emotionally. And therefore, prayer becomes our coping mechanism for the cracks in our lives. But if you think about what Jesus is trying to teach or model, prayer isn't simply about voicing our repair order to the grand fixer in the sky. Prayer is something different in Jesus in the way he embodies it, and the way he uses it. And when we tell people that if we just simply pray to God, ask, seek, knock, and, and whatever our prayer is, God will answer it, and hopefully in the way that we want it to, that I think is a misunderstanding and a misuse of what Jesus was teaching. And here's why I say that. If you think about it for a moment, let's kind of back up for a second. In Luke... Luke is the one gospel writer who focuses on the area of Jesus' life that is prayer. He focuses on it more than any of the other three gospel writers. He wants people to see that Jesus is a person of prayer. So often Jesus goes off to these moments of silence and prayer. It's an attribute of Jesus that Luke highlights, accentuates for us. It's an important characteristic and habit for Jesus' followers to learn according to Luke. And since it's so important, it is natural for Jesus to be one who would teach his disciples about that. And so Luke records this moment. He says Jesus was praying and the disciples were watching. And then they asked him to teach them to pray, which is kind of interesting because it leads us to think that Jewish men in that day didn't know how to pray, but they did. They did know how to pray because in their life was a simple prayer that they said multiple times a day. It was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. They prayed that over and over during the day. They knew how to pray But they didn't know how to pray the way Jesus evidently was praying. The prayer that he was saying was different. And so they asked him to teach them to pray. And he says, pray like this. Praise God. Ask for God's will. Pray to God to provide your basic needs. Ask God to forgive you as you are willing to forgive those who are around you, and seek God's protection. That's what he taught them to pray. And underlying of that was the expectations that your prayer would not be in vain. 
Jesus uses an illustration to teach this moment and to, to lift it up, to help them understand it. He paints a word picture of a story that every single one of them would understand. It's about baking bread. See, we think of baking bread in our own ovens in the isolation of our own homes. But in Jesus' day, there was a community oven that was outside in the middle of a small segment of homes. And so people gathered together to bake their bread together. And they all saw how much each of them was able to bake that day and take home. And so if they had a neighbor that would come and visit or... If they had someone that would come to their home and all of a sudden they found that they were out of their own bread, they would know that their neighbors might have extra bread. And so they would go and knock on their neighbor's door, expecting that their neighbor would answer. And Jesus says that not a single neighbor would say to them, no, they would not refuse them. No matter what the hour, and even if it meant waking up the whole household, they would answer the door and give a loaf of bread. He wanted them to understand that God was the same way. That no matter what your prayer, how it comes and what time it comes, God would be there to listen and to respond. Jesus made this point that we should be able to confidently pray to God in the form and the way in which he taught. To praise God, to look for God's will to be done, to pray that God provide our basic needs, that God forgive us in the measure that we are willing to forgive, and to seek God's protection, that God will not deny that prayer, but will listen and respond. Now notice I did not say that Jesus prayed knowing that God would do what Jesus asked. If you think about that, how often do we pray expecting God do what we want to have done? How many of you remember the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did Jesus pray for? He prayed for deliverance from the cup of suffering. Did he receive deliverance from the cup of suffering? No. That was something that was still intended for him by the Father. So I would say to you that one of the lessons that we could certainly take away from this passage is simply this, that in the moment of prayer, we are to model the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Pray. For God and praise God in that moment. Pray that God deliver His will in our lives and in the world around us. Ask God and thank God for the provisions that we have. Ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who are around us. Ask God to protect us. And that we should be able to pray that way in confidence, knowing that God will be there and will respond. That's the lesson that Jesus teaches. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open to you when you pray in the way that I have taught you to pray. I'd like to share a, a different lesson with you though as well. I would say that the unspoken part of Jesus' teaching comes in the first verse. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and the disciples saw him. The disciples saw Jesus praying. I think in many ways we need to learn to model this in our own lives so that others can come to understand what it means to ask, seek, and knock. To be confident in our prayers, we must model this in our own lives. I know that I need to be a much better model about this as well regarding prayer. How about you? There were two former NBA stars who were called role models in their day, but they pushed back against it. 
Their names are Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. Anybody remember those two characters, right? How can you forget Michael Jordan? His image is still on the side of a tennis shoe even today, right? But both of them, both of them, very famous basketball players, but they both pushed back against the idea that they were role models. As a matter of fact, Charles Barkley was quoted as saying, I am not paid to be a role model. You remember him saying that? Many of you probably do. Instead, he said, I am paid to wreak havoc on a basketball court. And yet the realization is, and the reality is, that every single one of us are being watched by someone. All of us are in ways a role model of some sort. And as much as that makes you nervous, it makes me nervous as well to think about people watching what's going on. You think about Rodney Dangerfield, who used to always tug at his collar, right? That's how nervous you could get at this. But to think of it, we are people who should emulate a way of prayer in our lives because we are confident in the God that we believe in and worship. One of my colleagues is a a young man by the name of Andy Bryan. Andy's a Methodist preacher down in uh, Springfield area. He's at Campbell United Methodist. He comes from a long lineage of Methodist preachers. His dad's a retired United Methodist preacher from the Missouri Annual Conference. His grandfather is a retired bishop from the United Methodist Church, Monk Bryan, who came out of Missouri as well. Every year we have a a gathering of clergy. It's kind of a time apart and a time away. And unfortunately I couldn't attend this year. But Andy's pretty prolific on Twitter. And he puts a lot of things out there that wind up not only on his Twitter feed, but also they wind up on his Facebook page. And he put this out this week. He said, Sometimes clergy model what it looks like to be Jesus instead of modeling what it looks like to be in need. Of Jesus. I'm going to let you think about that for just a second. He was quoting a, a guest speaker by the name of Matt Rawl. He was there at their gathering and he said that and Andy, it just kind of resonated with him. And, and honestly, I think uh, about it myself. It, it resonates with me, the pressure of what it means to be a lead pastor. Maybe the reason so many pastors flame out in their ministry is because they get caught in the trap of expectations especially the expectation to be the one who is the most like Jesus in any congregation, when in reality, we're probably middle of the pack for most of us. There's other saints who are further down the journey and more like Christ than we can be at this point in our lives. As I think about Matt Rawls' words and Andy retweeting them, maybe what I've come to the conclusion of is simply this. That maybe part of my primary role as a pastor is to model what it looks like to be in daily need of Jesus and how that comes through my own prayer life. Sharing with you the praises that I have of what God is doing in my life. How I am seeking God's will each and every day. Not only for me as a person, but for us as a community of faith. How I am giving thanks to God for providing all things. Seeking God's forgiveness as I am able to forgive those who are around me. Praying that God simply protect not only myself and my family, but protect all of you as well. That I daily ask and seek and knock for those things. Because I am confident that God will respond. Here's the reason I think that's important, friends. 
All of us have heard the critique before that the world thinks that we as a church are a bunch of hypocrites and we're inauthentic. Because for the most part, we run around with a lot of wax in our own cracks of our lives. We're trying to hide who we truly are from the world and put on maybe a false persona, or at least that's their perception of us. Maybe it's time for us to change that perception and through our own lives live without the cover-ups of wax, but you rather be the cracked and flawed people who know that we can pray to God in confidence because God is a provider. God is a forgiver. God is the one who loves all. And we can share that with people. We can share that as our true witness. So as we go away from this moment, I hope you'll remember just a couple of things and take these with you today. I would say that there are ample times in our lives where we ignore God until we need something from God and then we take an opportunity to pray. According to Luke, Jesus prayed a lot was part of his ministry, his persona. And Jesus modeled a form of prayer that he could teach to his disciples. And Jesus not only taught it to them, but he encouraged them to pray in confidence that God would be there and respond. And maybe the world is looking for a form of Christianity, a form of us as God's people that are seeking more of Jesus in our lives, who've learned to ask and to seek and to knock for the things of God, not just our own little list of things we want God to fix. And so here's your invitation today. What do your prayers consist of? If you took an inventory of your prayers today, what are you asking for? What are you seeking? What are you knocking on God's door for? Jesus tells us to pray to God our Father in prayer to seek God's will, to give thanks, to be a person who forgives and seeks forgiveness and God's protection as well. Do you model this in your prayer content? And how confident are you in your prayers? Or should I say, how confident are you in the God that you pray to? Have you stopped praying because God didn't answer your one specific prayer in the way that you wanted God to? Maybe the invitation for us is to hear once again that our prayer should be less about our own agenda and maybe more about God's in this world and in our lives. So with that in mind, friends, I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment of silence and contemplation as you let these words resonate and fill your hearts. And then for our closing prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to join with me as we blend our voices once again together in the Lord's Prayer.